But if you spend more time there and you're willing to adapt to the surrounding, maybe you notice how the spray of the waterfall forms ghostly figures that maybe only you see. But that's where photography starts for me. It's you frame a scene. You make it your image. In the end, you can say that's mine. A wonderful quote from this week's guest, Kai Hornung, winner of the 2020 International Landscape Photograph of the Year. There's much more where that came from, and whatever type of photography you're into, you'll learn something in this week's episode. Hi, and welcome to the Viewfinders Photography Podcast. I'm Graham Dargie, a professional photographer from the Granite City, Aberdeen, in Scotland. I hope you're well and that your photography is going well, but sometimes our photography just isn't going so well, and uh, we can feel like we're in a slump, or we've lost our mojo, or our creativity is at low tide. If that's you, I'm here to encourage you. It will come back. Until it does, just enjoy the downtime, allow some other influences to reach you, whether it's music, books, movies, going for a walk, or just having some quiet time. That's one of the best things I can do to recharge. And I promise you, sooner or later, the creative tide will come back in, and when the time is right, you'll be back in your photography flow again. I wouldn't say my tide is out at the moment, but the gaps between me shooting are a bit longer than I would like just now, partly because of the way the world's been lately, and partly because a lot of my time is going into the podcast. Um, I've been learning to be okay with that rhythm. And actually, where I'm at with my landscape photography just now, uh, it's good for me to have a bit of breathing room. Having conversations with other photographers on the podcast is really challenging me uh, and giving me pointers as to what my next steps might be and how I can try to look at things differently. So I'm just trying to work with the season I'm in at the moment and allow myself to be challenged and know that when I do get the camera back in hand more often, that I'll be in a really good place to try some new things and just allow it to go where it wants to go. So I don't know if that helps or encourages or speaks to you in any way, but it's something I've been aware of lately and I figure if I'm going through that, probably somebody else is too. So it's good to know it's just part of the creative journey. If you want to see my photography, see how it's developing in the next few months, catch me on Instagram at Graham Dargie, also at Viewfinders Podcast, and you can check out the brand new Viewfinders website where you can find the latest episodes, check out previous seasons, and find out about my next Viewfinders Live event. So check that out at viewfinderslive.com. Okay, on that note, a quick mention for Viewfinders Live Food Photography with Donna Krause, sponsored by MPB, coming up on Sunday the 13th of June 2021 at 7.30pm on Zoom. Donna Krause is a Nikon ambassador and a Rotolite Master of Light, one of the most sought-after food photographers in the UK. Donna's fantastic, one of the most creative people I've met in photography and one of the absolute best at what she does. So join us on Zoom to learn how Donna creates her amazing photographs, including styling, camera settings, lighting, and much more. If you're into food photography, still life photography, or if you just want to expand your photography knowledge and hang out with one of the world's best photographers, then come along Sunday the 13th of June, 2021, 7.30pm on Zoom. Tickets are available now for just £12 at the Viewfinders website, viewfinderslive.com. Links in the show notes. Do not miss it. Thanks to MPB for sponsoring the event and also for sponsoring this season of the podcast. Uh, trade in your unused camera gear to MPB to get something that you will use or just to get some money in your pocket. MPB makes selling your kit easy and anything you buy comes with a six-month warranty. So go check out their website, follow them on Instagram. Links, of course, are in the show notes. Okay, my guest this week is Kai Hornung 
a landscape and fine art photographer from Hanover, Germany, who won the 2020 International Landscape Photograph of the Year, only a few years after getting serious about photography. I love this conversation. Kai has a great approach to his photography, and as a relative newcomer, he's not constrained by some of the established ways of thinking about landscape photography. Kai's background as a musician and songwriter means he has a creative confidence that helps him to bring a real maturity to the image-making process. We talk about how a trip to Ireland opened Kai's eyes to landscape photography, how and why he leaves his images open for interpretation, how to look for new pictures in well-known locations, the parallels between music and photography, and much, much more. Usually, I like to change topic from one episode to the next, but I thought this followed on so nicely from the conversation I had with Paul Sanders last week. And so, if you enjoyed that one, you're going to love this one. Here's my conversation with Kai Hornung. Kai, hi, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Hi, Graham. Thank you so much for having me. I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm great. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you on. Um, I was really, a, a few things about your work that really I found so interesting. And when I went on your website, um, I just, I read your bio. I found that really interesting. I was interested to talk about your backstory um, and some of the different photography things that you're doing. Before we get to that, how about we start uh, uh, with you? Can you introduce yourself and tell me a little bit about your photography? Sure. Well, yeah, my name is Kai Hornung, and I am a German landscape and nature photographer with uh, a tendency to go into the fine art sector, whatever that is. Um, and it's not too long ago, actually, that I started photography. Um, I started in 2016, mm-hmm. which in photography years, it's just five years ago. To me, it seems like a long time, but I get it that most people consider it as being rather rather new to photography. And, well, I'm back in 2016, I was on a business trip to Ireland. I'm not allowed. I'm not, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that in Scotland. I know there's a history, <laughs> Ireland and Scotland, but yeah. truth be told, it started in Ireland. I was on a business <laughs> trip, went to the coast, fell in love with being in a rough environment, watching the waves crash underneath me and having a camera in front of me, mm-hmm. hardly being able to handle that thing. But I managed to take some photos and got hooked. And uh, ever since then, always enjoy being outside, um, trying to take images and went from there and somehow managed to make this a side career or a, a second profession. Yeah, I was, I mean, you've touched on a couple of things I was going to bring up there. So um, you're right in photography years, five years. I mean, to me, I've been at this a lot longer than you. And I, it's it's a mix of emotions because I find your story really inspiring that you can come so far in five years. But at the same time, it's really annoying <laughs> because some <laughs> of that. us have been at this for years and <laughs> mm-hmm. we still like feel like we're going backwards. But um, but no, but it's great. And um, I was I was curious about what happened in Ireland because I mm-hmm. I read that in your bio. So the was it just was that the first opportunity you'd really had to throw yourself at landscape photography? Mm, it's not that I had the camera on my hand for the first time. I mean, I'm, uh, now I just turned 46, so um, I had a life before. Uh, I had a mm. happy family life, but that took turns into the bad and uh, ended in, in a divorce. That was um, back in 2015. So after, well, this major shakeup and uh, getting kind of resettled, um, 
I figured, well, what to do with my free time now? Mm. Before I was, uh, I'm, I've always been a singer in bands, so that had been my my major creative outlet. But um, back then, I I liked doing photography to document family travels and play around with the camera. Yeah. But I didn't have a specific theme or subject or whatever to do. But um, during that time, I still had a voucher lying around to get some camera gear. And I always wanted to upgrade my entry-level gear back then. So in 2016, I finally did. Got myself a new camera and, well, spent my time looking at YouTube, watching videos, and learn how to, well, or what time of day it would be good to photograph uh, kind of learn to uh, how to take photos and after playing around with my camera that business trip came up and um, I had looked where I, w- I was staying there was a Sligo at the west coast and um, figured what time was the sun setting so during that evening of the first meeting with colleagues um, I-, I told my Irish colleague well would it be possible to just sneak out and maybe hit the ocean because I would like to photograph there so uh, we both went and that's where it started um, um, I, I liked being outside before, but that very moment, maybe also because it was a very different scenery to, than to what I had been used to, yeah. my travels before were classic tourist travels to the warmer countries, Spain, mm-hmm. Portugal, or whatever. So standing there, um, shivering in the cold, yeah. uh, my hair flying around, and me not caring about that, and just... <clears throat> enjoying this rough environment mm-hmm. and trying to be creative. Um, I don't remember if I had this flow feeling back then already, but I but yeah. I guess I did because um, it felt so good that I wanted to do this again and again and again. And then I started traveling around inside Germany. Um, during that year, I was um, traveling a lot anyways because of a project I was working in. Um, yeah, maybe I should explain I'm... My main job, my full-time job still, is being a human resources consultant. And that mm-hmm. uh, led me to being in Ireland twice back in 2016. So um, during my free time, I started traveling and taking my camera with. And you know how it is when you start. You get so hooked. You get so um, maybe over-enthusiastic. Yeah. It's all I thought about. <laughs> when my colleagues <laughs> went to the bar during my business trips, I went up to the hotel room and uh, learned how to edit images and um, read books, watched videos on how to improve location scouting and everything. So I think this enthusiasm right in the beginning led to a lot of learning, a lot of fun, and I guess that got me a major start. Uh, it's amazing the resource that we have available with YouTube. Yes. Uh, don't you think, and other platforms mm-hmm. as well, but it's, it, it gives someone an opportunity to make a lot of progress quickly, to start to start and after that it gets really confusing so uh, youtube i mean i get asked how to improve photography a lot and 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 i also teach so uh, it's a good question although nowadays i would say more uh, or different questions would be more important Mm -hmm. especially why do i photograph because that goes back to the soul and not how to do things but why but that's a different topic we might be able to touch later but um youtube is is a good platform to give you a start and to learn fast. But then I, I recommend everybody then get more quality content to learn. Uh, go mm-hmm. to the pros, um, buy tutorials, uh, buy books, or buy 
mentorings or workshops. Um, so because YouTube is good, but it's also so confusing and the quality varies a lot. So, yeah. um, some stuff is just mm, meh. <laughs> yeah, and I suppose as a beginner, you don't know one thing from the other, right? So, And, and then it gets confusing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to um, go back in time a little bit because I, I read on your bio that uh, you wanted to be a sports star when you were a kid. <laughs> As a kid, And yeah. then probably like all boys. Yeah. I mean, and then you realized at some point creativity was a driving force. Was there what, was there something that happened that made you realize that creativity was going to be a bigger part of your life? Uh, and that time span you were alluding to, it's probably because of puberty, <laughs> I'd say. <laughs> First heartbreak or whatever. And mm-hmm. uh, you try to cope with... The first time being rejected by the girl you really like. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I started to write clumsy poems. And um, I, I had always loved listening to music. And later when I was, I think my first steps into music, singing was with a friend. He was playing the keyboards and we re- recorded something. I was singing. I mean, you could hardly call it singing, but I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I was 15 back then. And then when I was 17, I formed uh, a band with my schoolmates. And we went on to play concerts, record albums and everything. So that was like a little music career, actually. Um, I listened to your video. There's a link. Oh, cool. For, so is it Soon As Now? Yeah, that's the current band, yeah. Yeah, it was cool. I really liked it. Thank you. Um, and uh, okay, that we can segue into your work, photography work from here, because um, you were talking in, uh, in your bio, I've obviously read your bio, um, about uh, creating images that sing. Um, and I wondered if you can talk about what that really means to you, mm-hmm. and how you how you go how you approach that, and what is it that for you that really makes an image sing? Mm-hmm. Good question. Well, maybe going back to the music days, um, I'm I'm a singer of a band, um, which allows me the luxury to not having to be able to play a re- uh, an instrument. Mm-hmm. Sounds a bit clumsy, but that's <laughs> what it is. Um, I was kind of relieved to uh, hear one day that Michael Stipe from R.E.M., he doesn't know notes. And I don't really know either. I mean, I can play maybe seven to eight chords on a guitar, but that's right. about it. <laughs> so um, when usually with my bands, we, we always um, write our own music. I mean, every now and then there's a cover version, but mostly it's writing our own music. So when I'm doing vocal lines, the melodies, it's it comes from within and also writing lyrics, I usually had images in mind while doing that. Um, sometimes not even being able to really articulate what that image really is, but I still had visions or images in mind. So somehow, it, to me, it came full circle when, when I started with photography because then I had this visual uh, thing right in front of me and tried to make that appealing. And what I love about music is the emotional connection you get. Me, when I'm a listener... Um, when I'm feeling down or when I, even while editing, while I'm just in whatever mood, music is the perfect soundtrack. And I love good lyrics too. So that interacts, gets me moving. And I think the best thing you can achieve as a photographer is have your images do the same. I mean, music and, and photography, I would say it's not on the same emotional level. Music touches you deeper. Mm-hmm. At least it does for me, and I think it does for most people. But if, you, if you're if you able to make images that people can relate to, that can um, 
have an emotional connection with, feel some empathy. I think then people are able to reflect their own re emotions in that image. And lately I've found more and more joy in having images. I, I call it open. The more I have an image open for interpretation, the more I leave room for the viewer or the audience to get in and have their own interpretation. Mm -hmm. And many, many years ago, Minor White said something like, it's not so much important what the photographer thinks about his image. It's way more important what the audience does with that in their own minds. Mm -hmm. um, and that to me, it's, it's getting a bit long now, my, my answer, but that to me comes full circle because 25 years ago, I went to museums and I loved looking at abstract art, abstract paintings. And now doing intimate landscape photos with more abstract scenes, deliberately excluding skies mm -hmm. um, to not give any orientation, not give any sense of scale, um, might be confusing to some. But to me, it makes an image open for your own interpretation. And that's mm -hmm. when, when I think an image starts to sing because it resonates inside of you. Mm -hmm. And you are able to make your own connection, your own interpretation. And I'm perfectly fine and always have been also with my lyrics. I like ambiguity. I know that drives some people mad because they want a clean answer. But I'm perfectly fine with ambiguity. Um, so if, if I think I say A with my image, I'm perfectly fine if you interpret it as B. Mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's all good. It, I, I, it's, that makes it really interesting. Always has been that way with my lyrics too, which doesn't mean I always make it that way. And also the lyrics I wrote in the past, some were pretty dire straight out. And also some of my images are pretty straight mm -hmm. forward. I mean, when you shoot a, a well-known waterfall, yeah. there's not so much interpretation in there, <laughs> but I, I don't mind that but still favor the more abstract or more intimate work. Mm -hmm. That's a really great answer. And I was, I think in landscape photography, a lot of the time we are going to a particular place. I don't know how much you do this and maybe you're, you're moving away from, from this, from what you've said. I don't know. Um, but a lot of the time we do go to a particular location and we want to get that shot, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so in that in that type of photograph, I don't know if, how much room for interpretation there is. So you're starting to, to bend your style maybe away from that kind of a picture, nice picture of a nice place into, I don't know, looking at more of the details of the landscape or, or the textures that are around you. Because um, one of the things that I noticed about your abstract shots, um, you don't know if it's an aerial shot of a mm -hmm. large area or if it's mm -hmm. a macro shot of the side of a tree or something. You just you couldn't know, um, and you have to really study the images. I think that that maybe that's what you're talking to about allowing mm -hmm. people or leaving room for people to really uh, interpret it. Yeah, and I mean nowadays in our fast-paced society, I mean speaking of Instagram, <laughs> um, as sad as it is, but a main compliment is if the audience just takes time. To look at your image right i mean mm -hmm. in instagram we used to just f scroll through and how, how many seconds do we pay attention to an image mostly it's maybe a fraction of a second mm -hmm. so to have somebody stop scrolling looking at that and making up your mind what is this actually what i'm looking at um <laughs> maybe it, it's sad to say that but maybe for for our time where we are right at right now 
that's maybe a compliment if you can pull your uh, audience to stop and look. It doesn't always work, but if it does, well done. Yeah, it's great. I was going to I'm going to touch on that later actually. Well, so we'll circle back to this. Um so okay, so when you go out to shoot then, um how much are you having an image in mind and how much are you just visually aware and, and looking for different things? Mm-hmm. Mm, that has evolved over time. Um, I would say like two, three years ago, I probably had more images in mind when I went to a location. Online scouting and everything that, that came before. And nowadays I look, f- I, I still see locations and when, when I, just this weekend, I know where I'm going um, to see somebody in the family and I looked around in that area so I studied maps and looked at photos that were left on a hiking app or inside Google just to see what that area might be about so I don't have any specific image in mind there but I I have a sense if there's potential Mm -hmm. if this area could maybe be attractive just like um, the weekend when we start before we start recording I was telling you I was going with my daughter last weekend to a woodland I had never been before and I used that little hike we did as a scouting trip she didn't know and because if I had told her well we we will be doing scouting for me then she would have said well I'm not coming yeah <laughs> so I tricked her in mm, looking for potential without having a shot in mind because I mean nowadays I find it more and more boring to just repeat images that I had or have already seen Mm-hmm. But when starting out, that's what everybody does. And I think there's nothing wrong with that when you, for example, look at a famous place, that bridge in at the Lofoten, uh, Hanoi, or let's say Skogafoss uh, in Iceland. I mean, that has been photographed so many times, it's pretty difficult to put a new spin to that. But you don't have to. Most people who photograph just enjoy uh, what they're doing, and they should. And that's what I tell people too. I mean, if you go to those places because they most of the time are just jaw-droppingly beautiful. So yeah. you will be enjoying your time there. And if you have your camera with you, take some images, show them to your family. But maybe don't consider yourself being a world-class uh, reformer of the craft because <laughs> that place has been documented before. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I really answered your question though. <laughs> no, it's great. Um, I I agree and... Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with going to those great places and we should all do that. And of course, you're going to take a photo and attempt to do the best you can. Um, in And I was just talking with this about um, Jim Richardson, uh, with Jim Richardson the other day on another call, who's a, a National Geographic photographer. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's a, such an experienced guy, 50 year career. And he his thing is like, OK, a nice picture of a nice place. It's good, but it's not really enough for National Geographic. You know, yeah. it has to transcend yeah. that. So that was something I was talking about with him, and I was really challenged about that. He's absolutely right. Yeah, for my own photography, because I can do the nice picture of the nice place, and you know, the landscape technique is mm-hmm. is what it is. And there are challenges within that, of course. But you know, if you get to the right place at the right time, you're going to get something. It it requires more of you as a photographer if you have to earn the scene, or like I say, you you listen to the surrounding and have the surrounding call you to take that image instead of you going there knowing I'm going to take this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that, yeah. that that can be good if you're working on assignment because your client demands you to do this and that and then you have yeah. to deliver. That's perfectly fine. But just the other day, I was writing uh, something for for somebody and um, 
there was how can you take unique images at uh, famous locations and i think you can just spend your time there get accustomed and um that's what what happens with me when, when i'm able to spend more time there the impact of literally seeing the the surrounding in front of me slowly pushes all those images out of my head that i maybe brought there mm-hmm. so that gives me room to really scan around have my eyes wander around and maybe even leave the main frame let's let's imagine we have a famous waterfall right in front mm-hmm. the obvious thing would be taking a more wide angle shot to frame the entire waterfall but if you spend more time there and you're willing to photograph you're willing to um, adapt to the surrounding maybe you notice how the light moves over the moss on the side maybe you notice how the spray of the waterfall forms ghostly figures that maybe only you see but that's where photography starts for me it's mm-hmm. you frame a scene you make it your image in the end you can say that's mine because i saw this ghostly figure in the spray and i i shot that and people won't even recognize it's the most famous waterfall in the world and yeah. he took that ghostly scene there so i strongly believe you can still be very creative and even unique whatever that maybe is on famous locations yeah that's such a, a lot in there and i'm an assignment photographer to trade so i go out with i'm going to get something you know mm-hmm. and like that's my my what i'm used to is having mm-hmm. to deliver something so i i definitely go with one or two pictures in mind even when i'm just doing it for myself mm-hmm. but then I'm, yeah. I'm also because i'm an assignment photographer once i've done that that's gone yeah. And now I'm looking for other things. And so I think the challenge for me now is to, to go deeper into those other things and, and really, really look differently. Um, but, so I, I think there's a lot in that. And you said uh, and you, there's something like the, the scene calls you to take the photograph, something like mm-hmm. that. I thought that was a brilliant way of, of putting it. But you have to invest the, the time to build the relationship with the yes. location, I suppose, yes. to to get that out of it. Um, I was talking to Paul Sanders the other day. I don't know if you know Paul Sanders. He's a, a an English uh, landscape photographer, brilliant, brilliant guy. Mm-hmm. And um, he was saying he receives photographs more than takes them, mm-hmm. which I think is That's, similar to what yeah, you've said. Yeah, very good explanation. It is. Yeah, it's fantastic. But to go deeper, to go beyond nice photo of a nice place, I think these are the, the places and the thoughts that we need to mm-hmm. go to. So I'm, I'm loving that. I love that. And I think this also has to do with experience uh, once you have experienced this many amazing skies this many sunset sunrises this many milky way skies maybe you're not so crazy anymore to redo this again and then you're able to adapt more what's actually happening in front of you so <laughs> I, I remember so many instances i mean usually i try to avoid being with other photographers on locations but when i am i remember and i guess everybody has heard that that some folks call out oh that's such a boring sky no clouds or Mm -hmm. um i don't know just dull light and i kind of smile because i don't think there is such thing like bad sky or bad light you just need to adapt i mean Mm -hmm. if if this guy doesn't give you anything for the scene then don't make it a scene with sky exclude it mm-hmm. or um if if there's no if it's a completely dull overcast sky that sometimes puts people off but 
just go out into the woodland and enjoy that you don't have those harsh contrasts mm -hmm. or that the greens are more natural then, which enables you to work much easier in post-production. I mean, it's, it's, you don't have to imagine golden hour. Everything washes out. You don't have any color contrast. So sometimes it's a blessing for some areas to have no overcasting light, no overcasting colors, so that you can work the image really like it is. But that requires you to adapt and um, drop your pre-visualization. <laughs> that's the word. <laughs> drop that and adapt on the scene. And I think you will end up being way less frustrated. Mm -hmm. And you will end up with more images if they are all great. I don't know. I mean, um, it's it's all good if you just return home and you realize, well, no real photo this time. But I was outside and it was time well spent. Let's go into the abstracts. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, because you, you were saying that creating art in the outdoors is the greatest thing there is. So you can really feel that enthusiasm and that passion for from you when you talk what would you say is your approach to abstracts because as i was saying that the shots they lack a sense of scale sometimes which mm -hmm. allows you to not know what it is in a good way um so are you you're shooting sometimes you're shooting aerial with a drone sometimes i guess you're shooting close-ups it, it seems um with the camera with your nose right against the ground against the mud cracks maybe is that is that just pure visual awareness? Is it pure experimentation? Is it just being unconstrained by those uh, preconceptions or pre-visualizations? Pre as we've <laughs> both been struggling. I'm glad to I'm say. not the only one struggling with that one. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, what's your approach to abstracts? I think it's a mixture of all of the aforementioned. Mm, now, truth be told, I I still feast on. Many of the aerial images I took during a flight above Iceland, mm -hmm. which was not taken by drones, but uh, from a uh, Cessna. Mm -hmm. I still have so many images from there, and I uh, still keep coming back to those images, editing them and, and releasing them. So some people might think, well, he's, he's always flying the drones. But <laughs> um, I'd say most of my aerials are from that flight, in which I would love to do again soon. Um, I also photograph by drone. I like that. But nowadays, there's so many restrictions flying drones. I haven't even unpacked my drone since my last trip to Iceland, which mm -hmm. goes back to August last year. Yeah. So drone photography, I, yeah, I use that. I, but I wouldn't call myself a drone photographer because I don't do it often enough. Mm -hmm. But photographing, for example, mud crags or decaying leaves in a a creek inside a forest that's that's maybe that's attention to detail and some kind of curiosity playfulness like maybe a child does have mm -hmm. and that may sound a bit strange i mean i'm 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 a mature man um well in the 40s so maybe that sounds a bit childish saying well he he's going playful but i think in order to be creative you need to have that mindset. But I'm not forcing myself into that because once you force yourself into being creative, you're bound to fail. But if if you walk around, and uh, for me, it's 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 just pure fun being outside. Um, I see how clouds move. I see how how bushes move in the wind. 
And sometimes I, I just notice things that, that I find attractive. And that can be details on the ground as well. And my eyes wander all, all, all over the place. And then if I have my camera with me and I have the time, I mean, that's that's a big issue there, time. I might be setting up my tripod if it's required or do the handheld or whatever and, and shoot some leaves on the ground. I, I mean, most of those images <clears throat> end up just being on my hard drive and never see the light of day. That's yeah. the fate of most images. Mm -hmm. But being in this digital area, uh, era, it allows us to take so many images, to play around, to try things. Also, this uh, intentional camera movement there's so many amazing artists that do that so well, and, and that makes an image abstract by itself. I tried that too. I'm I'm not really skilled in that sense, but I, I, I think I will try that even more in the future because I really like the effect that it creates. Yeah. And all of a sudden you have something that turns out to be more abstract because it, it lacks orientation and, and context to where it was taken. And to some people, that's confusing, and they don't like it, and I'm perfectly fine with that. And others, like me, like I said in the beginning, enjoy this room to have your own interpretation, what that maybe is. And when I teach photography, and I do portfolio critiques or, or something like that, image critiques, I often ask, well, what's the story of your image? And most of the students I have, they, they don't have an answer. Mm -hmm. Well, it's just... I just took that image because I liked it, mm -hmm. which isn't bad. I mean, I'm not putting those people down. It's, 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 it's a good answer. But does the image have a story? And, and, sometime, and, and some people are really puzzled by this question because they go like, well, what do you mean by story? Um, it doesn't have a dramatic climax or happy ending or whatever. And I say, no, it, it doesn't have to be a really articulated story, but it has to have something, some, some purpose, something of, of you in there. And then that's that that opens it up for other people to to relate and make sure that that if you if you know what your image should be about if if there's maybe a feeling it you want to transpire that you work that out so that the chances are most people will get the emotion you want to create mm -hmm. and and that can work in abstracts i mean you you can work with colors i mean classic color theory helps in uh, evoking emotions also how lines are um, in, in an image and when, when I do my abstracts um, my major concern with my own images is having them in some sort of balance whatever that creates if it's lines if it's elements placed if it's colors saturation luminance I try to make sure the image in itself is in balance and if it's unbalanced it needs to serve a purpose that's how I approach um, intimates or abstract scenes. Yeah, there's so much in that answer. It's just you talk with such maturity about um, photography. It's really hard to believe that you've only been at this for a few years. <laughs> uh, I'm so impressed. Um, Thank you. The other thing I was going to bring up was um, behind the image, uh, the audio clips that you have mm -hmm. on your website. I thought this was a fantastic idea. Which goes back to Cole Thompson. I'm... I'm I have to give credit to him because that's where I saw it. So um, every time somebody says perfect idea, I always mm -hmm. go go to Cole Thompson because he had it first. Okay, we'll put a link in the show notes and we'll refer reference uh, for that. Amazing artist too. So um, maybe you get him on sometime would be would be great. For sure, yeah. 
But thanks just, for the compliment. I take it. Thank you. No, it's yeah. It's <laughs> I just what it goes. But this is the thing I said I was going to come back to later because um, it makes you stop and look at the image for mm -hmm. four minutes or eight minutes or yes. whatever, which is so unusual nowadays. When like you're saying, it's a it's a split second for each image, mm -hmm. and you're like, yeah, like it, don't like it, whatever. And um, it adds so much uh, context and value to the process that you went into to make the image. So. Mm -hmm. For you to to take ownership of that idea, what was that step? Did you did you second guess that, or did you have to give yourself permission to do that? How did that come about? I like it when I first of all, I I liked when I found that on Cole's homepage. I listened to that and I thought I thought that's brilliant. I I love to hear what the artist is saying about his own work. That doesn't kill my own interpretation. It still leaves plenty of room to have my own thoughts about his work but it gives a different side or it, it's like it fulfills the picture for me and gives way more depth so mm -hmm. once i'm interested in somebody's work i want to know more I, i want to see the images i look at the about pages i love listening to podcasts read interviews or whatever i do like to know more about the artist because i believe and this also goes back to um classic painters um when, when you read the biographies of those people They had their ups and downs in life. And look at Pablo Picasso, or to name just one of the most famous artists there were. Um, I think some of it clearly shows in his paintings. And I think that's so that's so fascinating because every image we, we take, I mean, there's a, a phrase that says an image shows both sides, what's in front of the camera and also what's behind. And I think there's truth in that. And and I'm fascinated by by that aspect so i i know that that some people told me since i since i was a maybe 20 year old guy with my more deep voice some people said well you should be on the radio you should be making audiobooks or whatever mm -hmm. so I, i knew that some people liked my voice so i figured well also i'm sometimes sometimes asked what i think about what my image really is about so I thought it makes sense to record that stuff, to record my my own visions, my stories behind the images. I also have the audio equipment because I sometimes uh, sing for my band at home, so mm -hmm. why not just give it a try? So I think I did four or five clips, uploaded on my homepage just to see how the reaction of the audience is. Mm -hmm. And of course it's not for everyone. Um, many people don't even have time to do that. But the ones who did and reached out to me, they were really, really positive. So I will continue doing that. I think it's it's fun for me to do that. And I like to talk about these things if I have the time. And it's it's really rewarding when people care about it and have an interest to dig a bit deeper, mm -hmm. even deeper than what's seen in the image. Yeah. just uh, Let's pick up on one of those shots then. Uh, mm -hmm. When I listened to you when I was preparing for this call, was um with black rock and mm -hmm. i thought that was really interesting because i had noticed that you didn't have a lot of black and white shots yeah. uh, on your portfolio i i kind of struggle with black and white me at too. the moment as well i think the the conversion just has to be really really good for me and i and I, i find it hard to just get it in the right place you know can you talk a bit about your struggle with black and white and oh. when do you know you're onto it with a black and white image The struggle is real. <laughs> um, 
I think there's so much work involved into making a good black and white image. And what I struggle with the most is um, having the right contrast level. Because going back to Ansel Adams in his 10 zone system, which um, had much to do with printing, which is not so much an issue with the digital world nowadays because most images aren't printed. And Black Rock, for example, had, has never been printed yet. But still, the, the logic behind it is have different levels of luminance, also many different levels of gray, because that's in between white and black, to give separation and dimension. And I think that's just the mere black and white conversion inside Lightroom. I mean, you can just point and click and make it black and white. That doesn't cut it. You need to add so much more depth and um, contrast. You, I, I, or me, I, I work with different... Um, level adjustments and, and tone curves on different uh, color channels, which sounds strange uh, maybe because we're talking about black and white, but still mm -hmm. if you pull down the the level of the blues, for example, the sky gets considerably more dark. Mm -hmm. So you can tweak all of that. And I don't do that often, maybe because I lack vision of uh, seeing my, my own images in that contrasty black and white. Um, the more reduced I work with my images, the more it makes sense to go black and white. And with that specific image, um, well, I, I kind of like the how, how the rocks are placed in the water and also the movement of it. But the light wasn't given anything. The, the sky wasn't really... Um, um, I, I was thinking, well, could I, could I just make it more moody or whatever? But nowadays... I. Like every maybe 20th image, I like to be playful with editing. Not to the extent that I exchange skies. That's where I draw the line, for for example. But um, most images I try to keep a bit more natural. Not just a bit, keep it natural. So I, I didn't I didn't see this image going anywhere. So I... I figured, well, maybe this works in black and white. So I gave it a tr gave it a try and started with jerking the contrasts just to go overboard and see if this gives any sense. And to me, it did. And that made me end up making this a black and white image. But that very step and being playful and seeing, well, could this work in black and white? Um, I don't take the step very often. So most of my images end up being colorful, also because I like colors. <laughs> Have you ever shot with film? Um, in my teenage years. Not mm. not now that I do the photography, I am. No. Nope. You might enjoy, obviously, Ansel Adams was shooting with yeah. film. And I used to shoot, I mean, I started in the film days. And when you would shoot black and white, you had black and white in the camera. You're yeah. thinking black and white when yeah. you're in the scene. Yeah. And the, the you have, in the printing process, you spend a lot of time w with the image. Um, to, to uh, tweak the contrast and do the local adjustments mm -hmm. you wouldn't have called them maybe local adjustments in those days but uh, <laughs> that's what we would call it now uh, in the dark room and so you build kind of a relationship with the image and if it's on, if it's on black and white film it's going to be black and white anyway mm -hmm. so there's no um, there's, there's no getting around that but um, it's it's a really different and enjoyable process I really really miss it did you know that Ansel Adams was an incredibly good musician I didn't know that actually. Actually, yeah, he's. I think he was nearly concert level pianist, but not quite good enough. Oh, and um, it, it got me thinking about Ansel when I was uh, getting ready for this interview because of your musical background, and mm -hmm. I was wondering if 
I mean, this might be a, a weird question, but if the sort of familiarity with the with musical creativity and composition uh, somehow feeds or translates into the visual, do you, could you say anything about that? Yeah, I, I think there's truth in that, and. Um it's funny, many photographers have a musical background. I mean, Bruce Percy, for example, which I highly admire too, mm -hmm. he was a musician. I think he was a professional musician, and he just released some work, um, some songs. So um, it's not uncommon to have photographers with a musical background. And that goes back to maybe what I said earlier about the emotion you have in music, to have uh, sounds resonate and to, I mean... You kind of visualize with audio elements, which maybe sound sounds a bit weird now explaining that, but I think you, yeah, you you compose a song. Mm -hmm. We also compose images. Yeah. So not only by uh, with ling linguistics, it's it's very similar. It's close. I think there's there's lots of parallels in, in that, and I sometimes maybe people get a bit annoyed by me always referring how this and that works in music and how it also relates into photography. So um, bottom line, yes, I think there's a huge, huge um, parallels in, in that. Yeah. Let's talk about camera gear for a minute. And the, the gear round is sponsored by MPB this season. So let's talk about your gear. You're using Sony equipment. Can you take me through what's in your bag? Mm -hmm. Sure. I have in my bag a Sony A7R Mark III, um, three years old now. So, well, I'm, I'm sort of maybe having a half of an eye on on a new camera body, mm -hmm. but it's doing a great job. So I'm and I'm not really, I'm no gearhead. So to me, it's it's a tool to create my art, and um, yeah. it could very well be a different brand. But I, I. 2016, what I explained, I got myself a Sony A6000 to uh, photograph. That's where I started. So I stuck with Sony and went full frame. Yeah. I also have um, a, cu a couple of lenses. Uh, I Mostly nowadays, I shoot with my uh, Sony 100 to 400 lens, the G Master. Mm -hmm. um, more often, I also use the 24 to 105 because of the focal length that... that Especially when you're in the woodlands, it just pretty much covers everything you need there. Um, especially when starting out, I um, preferred using my 1635 G Master, um, also good for night photography. Mm -hmm. it, talking about night photography, I have uh, the Sigma 14mm uh, lens, 1.8, which is very good for night shots. So that's that's about my... And the, the 7200, I have that too, but that... I hardly ever use that since I got myself the 100 to 400 lens. So I see myself pretty much covered mm -hmm. throughout the focal lengths I, I really need. I considered getting myself an extender to have it even longer, up to 600. But I, I think I don't really need that, that length really, especially mm -hmm. not when I'm not able to travel. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, and then filters, are you mm -hmm. using filters? Um, I, I was a uh, ambassador for a filter company, um, so I, I still have those filters. Um, I have the Hira filters, a um, whole right. package, like pretty much everything um, th there is. But nowadays, I hardly ever use filters anymore. And um, when I'm in the field, I try to spend the, the least time 
are necessary on gear. Mm-hmm. I, I, I want to focus on why I photograph, what speaks to me instead of how I do that. So every time I have to take out filters and, and play around with that, set it up, take it off again, that, that just turns my attention away on things that are not necessary there. Yeah. Um, so a polarizer, that's really helpful. You, you, I need that every now and then, especially in, in the woodlands or when you, shoot, or when you photograph water. Mm-hmm. But other than that, um, I haven't done long exposures much anymore. And when I do, for example, with uh, waterfalls, I I don't even take such a long exposure. I mean, with mo- most waterfalls, beginners think you, you have a 10-second or longer exposure, but you don't. It's usually just a fraction of a second because you want to have some structures in it left. And I'm, I'm just lazy. I, I lower the ISO to 50 and maybe um, take a different aperture to reduce the amount of light that gets in so that... Mm-hmm way i don't even need a filter and need to grab into my bag but i have filters yes yeah Uh, i love that approach really and again i think you're you're way ahead for the amount of time you've been in this because it's we we do come to realize that the gear is just there to to be a tool you know and um you want it for me i want the stuff to not get in my way you know exactly and, um, and yeah. just to serve me so yes. do you have i was wondering anything in your bag that you just never ever use oh that's a good one hmm. i don't think so because if i did then it would be weight to carry around which would be useless so um maybe a camera strap i hardly ever <laughs> use i have that in there um i use peak design um i have a peak design strap and also this uh, wristband Mm-hmm. That wristband usually is all uh, on my camera all of the time, but that camera strap to have it hanging mm-hmm. around my um, shoulders, I hardly ever use that. But I still have it in my camera bag, and it hardly weighs anything, so that's that's fine. Yeah, that's not doing you any harm. Yeah. Well, what I find is most photographers have something that they're never using. So if you, the listener, have something you're not using, you can trade it to MPB. Uh, MPB is the leading place to buy, sell, and trade Camera Gear, they do thousands of items every week and everything comes with a six-month warranty. So I'm going to put a link in the show notes where you can get a quote for selling your unused kit to MPB. And I'll make a link for all the gear that Kai mentioned. So thanks again to the good people at MPB for sponsoring the Gear Round. Okay, that brings us on, if you've still got a few minutes, Kai, to a round I call double exposure. And I'm going to ask you about a particular image and then maybe there's one in particular that you can tell me about that's got a great story attached to it. So there was a few shots I, I could have got to, and I thought it would have came up organically before this, but I, I want to give you the chance to talk about the, the shot that won you the International Landscape Photograph of the Year, um, mm-hmm. which to me it kind of makes you the world champion of photography. So I feel very privileged <laughs> to talk so to much. you about that. <laughs> and I think it's the flight that you were referring to, maybe that's, yeah. that's when you got this shot. Yes. Do you want to talk about that shot for us? Sure. Well, um, it's one of the, I think I ended with 2,300 images on that flight just because wow. I was in continuous shoot mode. Um, because when you're inside a moving plane, you you need to have a very fast shutter uh, because mm-hmm. obviously you're inside a moving element and you want to have your images sharp. So um, I went to... 1250th of the second which is pretty fast which also means not much light in your camera yeah 
Um, so uh, opening your aperture was required. Also, that flight was three hours until sunset. So you can imagine light gets less and less over time. And um, so when, when the when the plane moved into an area that I found exciting, I made sure to photograph away in continuous shoot mode. So, of course, I ended up with many more exposures than I would need in the end. Mm -hmm. But better have than need. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I, I saved... Like, imagine you fly around a glacier and you find that um, interesting. So I shot away like 10 to 12 images to later pick on the computer if I have the perfect angle. Mm -hmm. Also with that specific scene, which was shot in the Landmannalaugar area in the highlands of Iceland, when we, when we flew there, I had never been there before myself that changed like two or three days later because then I drove into that area and, and hiked there. But during the flight, that was the first time for me to um, to really see that area. But I knew it from images, for example, like Hanstrand. Um, so when flying above there, I was like, okay, that, that looks really cool. Great valley there with a, with a zigzagging river. So yeah. um, the light was really dim. And the, the, the file that ended up being on my camera most people, if, if I would show you the raw file, most people would say, well, pff, I can't really use it anymore because it's, it's thoroughly underexposed mm -hmm. um, and maybe um, unusable because of that. So for me, editing this image in the end meant recovery. <laughs> and that's the great thing. When you have that gear with a high dynamic range, you can really, really work those files still. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, of course, you have to see how much you can uh, do because I, I think the ISO on that shot was 640, which is pretty high already. Yeah. So if if you try to pull on the shadows, you you reach a point where you uh, have considerably uh, a lot of noise in your image. Mm -hmm. So, uh, of course, I had to balance that. But that specific shot, that specific scene, um, I found the composition really, really appealing to me. And I made sure that I exclude the sky on that one. I have some uh, more images a bit wider, so they have the sky. Uh, actually, the sky was nice. I ha it had pretty dramatic clouds and light coming in, late summer light. So um, it looks pretty cool with uh, the sky in it too. But this way, with the exclusion of the sky, I think it's it's way more intimate. It it, um, it lacks a bit a sense of scale to the viewer which to me makes it a bit more interesting. Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't call it an abstract image because you, you see right away that's a valley and there's a river. I mean, that's a dead giveaway, so I wouldn't consider it being an abstract. But it's more an intimate scene of a of an area. And that area itself looks like, I don't know, uh, God went crazy by painting <laughs> on the landscape because of the yeah. different uh, oxidations and the colors there and the, the rolling hills. It looks absolutely crazy. Yeah. Um, did I think I could win a contest with that image? No, absolutely <laughs> not. I mean, you, I, I have entered some contests. And when we started talking, I was referring to ambiguity. Mm -hmm. And I'm ambiguous with that, too. Because on the one hand, I think art isn't meant to be entered into contests. Because, I mean, go into a museum. You don't see rankings of images. Yeah. And thankfully so. Um so why do I enter contests? On the other hand, why, why did I enter there? And why do I enter like two or three contests a year? Um, 
because I'm still, yeah, um, there's a competitive side of me. Maybe that goes back to the sports days yeah. <laughs> in my earlier years. Um, and I, I still like to see how my images do compared to others. And with those um, really big contests, I mean, after winning that contest, um, I have never had that much exposure on media like I did with that. So mm -hmm. for my photography business side, of course, that was very helpful. And I'm, I'm more than happy that I that I won this contest. Um, yeah, lucky me. Um, I mean, there were so many amazing images in there. I would have picked in front of mine. But I take that <laughs> yeah. every time. And once I got notified that this specific image won, and then I had the photograph of the year, still <laughs> kind of have to pinch myself to believe that. Yeah. Um, it's great. Yeah, it's, it is really it's a fantastic shot. But like you say, you could never, I mean, who knows why no, they pick no, the one that they never. pick. You can never know that. So mm -hmm. um, not to not to knock it or anything. It's just, you know, you never know how that's going to go. But it, exactly. it is an outstanding shot. Thank you. Um, so yeah, congrats for that. It's it's really amazing and an amazing achievement. Um, the other, there's, well, okay, I'll, I'll put it back to you. Is there a, a one particular moment in your photography journey that really stands out? One shot that's got an, a really epic story that goes with it. There's there's an image that many uh, people refer to me, and that um, maybe a, a bit um, going further with that. I don't know how it is about you, but sometimes you um, you make images available to the public. And some of them get really great responses. And you think like, well, I, I considered it being more of a so-so shot of mine. Mm -hmm. Good enough to release it, but not like a personal favorite. And then yeah. there's others. You think those are great. And some people go like, you had better. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, I have one specific image that's a waterfall with a seagull in it. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's one of my personal favorites. And it's also one of the ones that got the best response. So mm -hmm. that was pretty close to um, with each other. And why am I picking up this one now? Because I think um, this one was taken in 2019 in Iceland in an area that does have a very famous view into, an, into a valley. It was once called the Hidden Canyon, which in the internet is a, de a dead give giveaway that it's not hidden anymore after <laughs> calling it that way. Um, so we, I hiked there with my uh, my travel buddy, uh, Mikkel, and we had a great time there. I mean, it's a fantastic place. And there's another waterfall on the other side of this canyon, which doesn't get that much attention usually in images. But I noticed that there were seagulls circling all of the time in this canyon. And I was just we were waiting for the light to improve um, on the canyon. And I was starting to play around with shutter speeds on that waterfall to get a shutter speed that has some motion in the image in the water, but still enough structure to feature the power of the moving water. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, it would be kind of cool if to have a seagull in there, to have some um, living element in this image. So I ended up um, taking many, many exposures uh, once I had the shutter speed nailed to to try and, and have one moment with a seagull. So that ended up being this specific shot, which I considerately darkened. And I I, I also deliberately excluded the sky there. And on that specific trip, I had one goal to shoot most images without having sky in the shot. And I, I had that here too, just have a 
the main element of what is in front of you, which was the the moving water also crashing down on the ground because also I think it's it's important because it shows the dynamics of the water crashing down mm-hmm. and then this lively element with the seagull in it. And um, this rather stripped down approach also have my eyes wander around to a different place than what is obvious feature a split second um, which still has people relate to it. I think that that really... Um, included all of the elements that I found great and that's one of the images that I think defined me maybe from moving on after that mm-hmm. so I would consider this image a personal milestone because it um, encouraged me personally to continue moving more into that sense to get away from the more wide angle stuff to from the more um well, show all images to mm-hmm. more intimate moments, to fractions of the, of, of scenes, mm-hmm. and to really strip it down to the core of the story of an image, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, yeah, I totally get you. It, it really is quite a beautiful image, and it's it's I, I can totally relate to you about there's those shots that you have every now and again that just they move you to a different place. So. Mm-hmm. And back then, sorry, I, I was so happy to have that image inside the book for the International Landscape Photographer of the Year that year. Uh, it was the first time I, I had an image uh, in the best 101 images. And I was so happy to have one in there because that for me was like the holy grail. Yeah. So you can imagine uh, one year later after having my image in the book for the first time, uh, the ecstasy I felt mm. <laughs> to have the number one image of the entire contest. That was yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty good. It's- when it's one that you like, though, like you, to yeah. go back to what you said, when sometimes ones the images that you really love, people just don't get them. Mm-hmm. And, exactly. And but it really can validate that okay, the, your way of seeing is okay, mm-hmm. you know, and to sort of um, uh, encourage you to continue to do that going forward. A friend of mine, um, pretty recently, he asked um, another um, photographer and me if the response of the audience towards an image of mine changes my own perception of it. Like when I say it's more of a mediocre shot, but it gets a really great response if the if I see the image more positively or the other way around, if I, have, if I really love that image and it gets a more poor uh, response, if maybe that um, takes my own like level down. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, it doesn't. It, it doesn't alter my own perception of my work. And I think it shouldn't because um, first of all and foremost, I shoot images for myself and the worst critic is me personally. Mm-hmm. And um, if people, I mean, <laughs> it goes back to, um, but I don't know if it's uh, how, how it is with you when your students ask you, is that a good image? I don't think there is such thing. What is a good image? I mean, that's like asking, um, here's my favorite song. Do you think it is good? Mm-hmm. I mean, ask 100 people if they like that song. See, I'm going back to music now. <laughs> <laughs> and and some people like it, some people don't, but there's no good or bad. It's just mm-hmm. I like it or I don't. It's the same with images. And um, first and foremost, I have to like it. I have to see it as mine, as as something worth showing to other people because I like it, I relate to it, whatever. And um, if if other people like it, 
even if it wins contests. That's nice. That's good. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody likes a compliment. I do too. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. And if, if you start selling your work, I mean, you need to have an audience that picks that up too. But it doesn't alter my own perception of my own work. It doesn't change if I if I liked it, that I maybe changes to that I'm that me doesn't like it anymore. So I, I was kind of I was kind of confused when I heard this question actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that changes my perception. I guess for some people it might be that way, but for me, no, not at all. That's great. Okay, well, this brings us to uh, the quick fire round, which is called. I call it motor drive, which is a throwback to film cameras. Um, but the, the digital camera equivalent is continuous high-speed shutter release. So I, I can't call it that. Um, right. So, okay, quick fire round. Number one, uh, wide angle or telephoto? Telephoto. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Uh, okay, this is a, a good one. Expensive lens cloth or just the corner of your shirt? <laughs> Probably the expensive lens cloth. Okay, good for you. Um, okay, this is the music round. Um, Wind of Change or Dida? Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, I get it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, Dida. Okay, cool. It's quite annoyingly catchy, isn't it? Um, yeah, both is. And Wind of Ch- I mean, Wind of Change is from the Scorpions, obviously, uh, from my hometown, actually. Oh, really? But I've, n- I've never really liked that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, okay, what was the last great book, movie, series, or album you experienced? Yesterday, I got the book Jaime from Ariel Heitmann from Norway. And it it just blew me away from going through it the first time. And um, that's like, yeah, just, my, uh, just very recently, I think I bought three, four new books. But this one is lying here like uh, a meter away from me. It's it's brilliant. So if you guys ever uh, want to buy a new book, uh, check Arnold Heitmann. Um, it's it's amazing work and well, it's so inspiring. Okay, it's a. I, I find great inspiration. Yeah, I find great inspiration from from movies and and, and images all the mm-hmm. time. And that's also in uh, advice I I'd like to give. Once you find yourself in a creative rut, don't worry too much. Just uh, watch movies uh, or read books, and I mm-hmm. bet it comes back. I, you know, I just, again, you, you have such a mature approach with your photography. It's I, nowadays, just because I just, I'm old. <laughs> it's, yeah, well, that's what I'm getting at. <laughs> but I, you just, you know, it flows. It, it ebbs and flows like, yeah. like the like the waves, and it'll come back again. You know, so it's frustrating. It's frustrating, right? Once you're in there, I mean, you know, it comes back, but it's still frustrating, right, in that moment. And to me, it's mostly frustrating because I know I have a, especially within the last one and a half years, my main job. It's really stressful. I have more 10-hour days than 8-hour days. Mm-hmm. Um, then also homeschooling with kids. I mean, yeah. that that is really draining. Mm-hmm. And it's it's so frustrating. In the end, in the evening, I'd like to sit down on my computer and edit images. And I just end up jerking Lightroom sliders back and forth without getting anywhere. Yeah. And that really it gets me grumpy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I end up being a grumpy old man those <laughs> nights. And I go to bed frustrated. But I know it's phases, and then it swings back someday, and it just flows again. And um, well, be patient with yourself. But still, those moments, eh, I don't like them. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. After the pandemic, after we're out of this phase, what's the one photography location you'd like to get to? Have you got a place that's top of your list? I um, I would love to go to Utah uh, in the United States. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a flight booked last year before the pandemic started, so I had to cancel those plans to mm-hmm. go there. Then I had planned, oof, I had planned to go to many places, <laughs> um, Southern Norway, uh, the French Alps. I wanted to go to the UK. I wanted to go to Scotland. I wanted to go to, um, where else? Uh, Madeira. I wanted to go back to Madeira uh, mm-hmm. this April. <laughs> All plans canceled. Um, now my, my buddy Mikkel and me, we are talking about maybe going back to Iceland in summer or going to Madeira. He hasn't been there uh, yet. And my first and only time was back in 2018. And I think I have quite evolved as a photographer ever since then. So I would love to photograph that place again and do it more justice. Yeah. Um, so maybe Madeira will be next. I don't know. And I always love to go back to Iceland, so I wouldn't mind going back there either. But Scotland, for example, you Scottish people, I would love to go there. It's We're so lucky here. It's you and are. We take it for granted, you know, like because it's on our doorstep. But um, I, one of the events I was running, uh, I mentioned before, with uh, Mark McCall, he's a Scottish landscape photographer. Mm-hmm. And the, we know about all the locations we have, but when you saw them all together in his presentation one after the other it's kind of mind-blowing what we have here so we're all looking forward to getting out on the road again i have this huge book photographing scotland i mean it's Mm -hmm. it's really big with all those locations in there and i just love flipping through and imagining myself going there and and trying to Mm -hmm. just enjoy the environment and if if there's good photos coming up i bet there you you can't i I guess you cannot fail in scotland well, you can. <laughs> you can. <laughs> but I'd love to see your, your effort, though. I'd, I'd love to see your take on it. I think it would be really fresh. I, I, I will I, definitely go there one day. For yeah, sure. well, give me a call if you're mm-hmm. coming and I'll, I will. I'll show you somewhere. Awesome. Um, well, I may meet you in Madeira because I, for me, I'm sick and tired of the cold. I'm cold all the time mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. And um, in Scotland, it doesn't get that warm, even in summer. So what's been in my mind is to shoot in the Canary Islands or in Spain, because I know there's a lot of good spots in the Canary mm-hmm. Islands. So I was I was going to bring that up, but it just hasn't come up naturally. But maybe you can give me some um, Canary Islands advice and I can give you some Scotland advice later. Um, sure. OK, and that brings us to the last question. When do you feel at peace with the universe? When I am creative. Um I've I've told that story quite some times in interviews, but it, um, I will say it again. I asked my son some time ago because he likes to to paint and draw images, and I asked him. He's called Louis, and I asked Louis, "When are you the happiest? When you have your image, your painting finished, and show it to people, or while you're painting?" Mm-hmm. He thought for a second, and then he smiled and said, "While painting." And I smiled back and said, yep, that's yeah. that's me too. I'm the happiest while I'm being creative. And that can be in the field or on the computer while editing. It's it's more so in the field because then you have the surrounding and everything. And mm-hmm. um, I, I'm not a, relig- a religious person, but I would consider it like a Zen-like moment when you're mm-hmm. outside. And I mean, that, that that's what got me hooked back then in Ireland to start landscape photography. So being outside and really sensing what's happening around me, um, really relaxing, calming down, slowing down, because my life usually is pretty busy, and and f- really feeling that I'm there. That's when I'm one with the universe. 
It's such a great answer, Kai. I've so enjoyed this conversation and I feel like myself, I've, I've got a lot out of it and I've been challenged in a few ways. So thank you so much for your time and your input and um, I wish you all the best. Thank you so much, Graham. Great questions. It was lots of fun with you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Follow Kai on Instagram and check out his website to find out more about his photography, his online tuition and his location workshops. Links to everything we spoke about are in the show notes. If you like this episode, check out my conversation with Paul Sanders from last week and Magnus Lindbaum from season two. Thanks again for your time. Enjoy your photography. I'll see you out there.